You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to the Break a Bat podcast where baseball meets Broadway, an attempt to show that my two favorite mediums don't have to live in such separate worlds and maybe even break some stigmas. We're happy to have you with us. Now let's play ball. Hello and welcome to Break a Bat. I'm your host, Al Malafrante, coming at you from the Broadway Podcast Network studios with a real exciting first year player on the Great White Way. In addition to making her Broadway debut, in many ways, I think she draws a real parallel to a very important facet of baseball. You look back on a lot of the championship Yankee teams, uh, obviously you have your Jeters, you have your Bernies, you have your Paul O'Neills, Tino. Uh, but then, of course, you know there was that strong battalion of understudies and ensemble members on the bench who all had their share of big moments when their number was called and they got called into action. Luis Soho, uh, Bellinger, Shane Spencer. Every one of those guys had a really specific skill set that was important to you know, when their number was called upon on, and they remain fan favorites to this day. And, you know, a lot like those Dynasty Yankee cast, Jagged Little Pill has a ton of buzz on Broadway right now. And my guest today is establishing herself as a key member of that ensemble. While it's her first go around on a Broadway team, she's long been a staple of the New York City music scene. And we're happy to have her stepping up to the plate today, now batting. Jane Bruce. What's up, Jane? Hey, thank you. So many good, like, baseball Broadway puns. I'm so impressed. You know what? It, it, when you saw the the drama masks on top of the baseball bat, like when you walked in, you knew you were in for something, like, kind of different. I oh, yeah. It. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm into it. That's the only way I can really fathom baseball, probably, is if there's drama masks and <laughs> costumes and theater speak involved. I, I was going to say, you're like a, you're a music chick. You're familiar with like a walk-up song, like when you come up to bat and whatnot? A little bit. They it, play it and you're like, do, do, do. Yeah, it's it like you're excited. Up. What's like, what would pump you up like to go up to hit? Oh, man. I'm like one of those weird indie kids who like, I get really fueled by like Elliot Smith or like Joni Mitchell. I'm like, yes, it fuels my soul. Like <laughs> Classic rock stuff. <laughs> yeah. Or just the more singer-songwriter, like, you know. In your feelings, kind of songs get me jazzed, opposed to like, oons, oons, oons. yeah. So a little less like egotistical than this is why I'm hot, which is what A Rod used for like. Oh. 10 years. Yeah, a little different from that. A little different from that. <laughs> now you from Utah? Tell me, like, what do you do as you know someone who's trying to consume baseball there? Because there's no team. Uh, what do you do? Yeah, well, when I was growing up, we had I grew up in Ogden, Utah, and there were the Ogden Raptors, and they had their little tiny stadium, you know a few blocks away from where I lived and we'd go every once in a while and watch. And I have fond memories. 
Is Mostly of like hot dogs and pretzels <laughs> and, you know. You weren't old enough to drink at that point because you left out beer. That's also kind of I know. Important. Well, you know, it's hard to drink in Utah. They don't make it easy. Is that and right? I got out before I really had to deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you do after you left Utah? Where'd you go? I went to University of Michigan. Okay. And majored in musical theater. Uh, I watched like maybe one and a half football games in total, if you spread them out by quarters that I watched, you know. You did the four-year program, correct? I did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Listen, I got in there to those to those games when I could, but mostly it was, I think, about the the before the game sort of activities. Oh, okay. Eyebrows, eyebrows. Eyebrows. Yeah, 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 yeah. They have these sort of hot dogs with those, so I know, they I do. know what you're getting at. They do. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah, I went to school for musical theater, and then I moved here uh, to the city six and a half years ago or so. Were you a musician first? Or you consider yourself an actress first? Like, what was it like growing up in the in the Bruce household? Oh man, I, I the first show I did was in fifth grade. Our our elementary school wrote an opera with our choir teacher, and we took this like Russian folktale storybook and worked with our choir teacher to quote unquote write songs, which I'm sure she mostly wrote, and we just gave ideas out. And I desperately wanted to be the lead, and the lead was a boy character, and I was told that we had to let the boys play the boy roles. And so I played like the river princess and I loved it. But afterwards I called every, you know, community theater in the area, which was like three. And I said, hi, are you, are you having any auditions coming up for any shows? And also do you cast according to gender? <laughs> Cause I was, <laughs> I was like, well, I feel like the best person should get the lead and I should have gotten the lead. So, um, <laughs> I had a lot of chutzpah at that age for sure. And, um, yeah, I started doing all the shows and was kind of like the probably way too enthusiastic theater kid in my, in my hometown and went to a really awesome summer camp and, and, uh, where I learned about the different college programs that were good and auditioned for Michigan. And I'm still amazed to this day that I got to go there and had an amazing experience. And Your parents were big on the arts? They were very supportive, yeah. Yeah, they, they grew up in uh, Iowa, Nebraska, and just kind of ended up in Utah. And, and Utah is beautiful, don't get me wrong. I, I really loved growing up there, but they've been so supportive and always on board for my sister and I kind of following our dreams and passions and, and regardless of where they take us, you know. And what did you come to New York straight from you, Mish? I did, I did. And what what was the original intention there, just to get right onto Broadway? Because obviously you've taken kind of an unconventional path there, and it's obviously you know probably a little bit different than you envisioned. But what's Always. it been like? Like, what, tell me about those early days. Um, well, I also started playing guitar and writing music when I was in high school, and when I was in college, that was something that I kept cultivating. And um, coming to the city, I you know I was so I feel like one of my best qualities is my optimism, and and sometimes it's serves me and sometimes it doesn't, you know, and I, I was so naive and so, you know, hopeful and I was like, oh, but I, I love the work and I, I'm a good person. I have integrity. You know, I have talent. Every, everyone my whole life told me that I was talented. So I'm going to be great. It's going to be so easy. And I think when I moved to the city, I, you know, I, things don't always pan out the, exactly the way that you think they're going to. And I think that was absolutely a lesson that I had to learn as a human being and as an artist and trusting that every experience that I had gave me something creatively for me to to learn from and grow from and not base my worth off of, you know, the credits I had or or how many Broadway, Broadway shows I'd done or fancy auditions I'd had. You know, you, you, you when, when life takes a turn in that way, you're forced to reflect on, okay, well, 
I have integrity and I'm kind to my friends and I have a great relationship with my family and I love what I do and I write songs about how I'm feeling that touch people and, you know, I'm, I'm glad that I hung in there. I can tell that you're wired as a very positive person and I feel like when you deal with adversity like that at such a young age for the first time, I think it's almost becomes essential to survive it. I mean, think yeah. about the disadvantage someone has, you know, who isn't wired that way, who maybe is too competitive, someone who puts too much pressure on themselves. Sure. Um, I'm sure that really helped you. I mean, I think that was something I learned in college too. You know, I was, I was definitely the big fish in the small pond in Utah and going to Michigan even, it was like, I felt so relieved to be among all these people that wanted it the same way I did and that I had access to the training I did. And I'm so grateful that for me, school was something that I really loved. I loved being a school. I loved doing the work. I loved like getting in there. I loved getting notes. I loved being worked with, you know, it, it wasn't about like, oh, I got into this amazing program. So my life is made, you know what I mean? I, and I, I'm grateful that I think those lessons have carried through and it's not easy to be positive. And, and also I'm still, even though it hasn't been, it's not been a quick shot to Broadway, but even then, you know, I'm, I'm still incredibly privileged and very, very lucky and try to remember all of that yeah, <laughs> at all sure. times. <laughs> How'd you immerse yourself into the New York City music scene the way you did? I got really lucky. Uh, when I was at Michigan, Nick Blameyer, who is a Michigan graduate and also is an actor slash composer slash, you know, indie folk singer songwriter, came and did a little workshop and worked with a handful of us that were uh, writing music. And when I moved to the city, he uh, offered to share a bill with me at Rockwood. And so we split a set and I invited my friends and then I got in with people at Rockwood. And so then, you know, when I had some new material, I'd reach out and play a show at stage one, you know, where the windows face um, the street and you see all the people walking by. And um, yeah, I just kind of kept saying yes to gigs when they'd come up. And I met um, this amazing collaborator who's now also my boyfriend, Elliot Heifetz, uh, a couple years ago playing music. We, we went to like a writer's group together, which was another amazing thing that I kind of happened upon my first summer in the city. I ran into a, a guy I went to theater camp with and he was like, oh, I, I work for Andrew Lippa for this writing group. You know, you write music, right? You should come. And so I, I went to that. I met all these amazing composers, but also singer-songwriters. And that was a great networking opportunity. And, and I met Elia there and he reached out and was like, I'm starting to kind of build my folk career and I know you're building yours. Do you want to kind of team up and play shows together? And I also write musicals. We can kind of work on that together. Do you want to just, you know, combine forces? Uh, and I'm so glad. And, and after about a year of doing that, I, I sang on his album that he recorded last fall. And then he produced my album that I recorded last fall. And then we decided that maybe we were also in love. And so that's been great. And that's, I'm so grateful to him. And he's deeply immersed in the music scene and has taught me so much. And so, yeah, just the music, the music career part of my life is still blossoming and growing. And I'm still trying to, you know, with theater, you get such a kind of rule book in college of this is how auditions work. And this is what your resume looks like. I think the music scene is a little bit more ambiguous. So I'm still trying to figure it out, find my place. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You mentioned that you have your 29th birthday coming up. You and I are around the same age. When we were growing up, you didn't have all these different mediums that you did, especially with like the social media and whatnot and yeah. you know, YouTube and everything like that. You could really put yourself out there a lot more, which it, it sounds like you certainly did, especially, you know, kind of making yourself part of the fabric of, you know, the New York City music scene. Now, one thing that I was going to ask you is while you're doing all of this, were you still focused in the back of your mind? Hey, I still want to make it on Broadway. I'm still going to audition. Oh, definitely. It's funny, actually. I run into a lot of friends from college who are like, oh, so you're doing theater again. And I'm like, I was always doing theater, actually. I just didn't maybe land a super huge job, but I was still going to all the auditions I could get into and, you know, very grateful for my agent at the time. And you know, it's, it's hard. And things don't, I think everything works out how it's meant to. And and I'm grateful now that I'm in a show that's so badass and rock and roll that that is my identity, that people are like, oh, Jane, who's such a singer songwriter is in the Alanis Morissette show. That makes a lot of sense. I'm like, cool. That's, that's cool. That's good with me. I'll take it. Did they come to you about auditioning or did you get discovered on stage while you were doing your music? Um, I, I actually was in a voice lesson. Um, my voice teacher, uh, is a really awesome guy that I started going to a couple years ago and was kind of, I had gone in for the Bright Star musical, which is all like folk music for the tour. And I was like, oh my God, this feels like it's my job. And I just narrowly didn't get it and, you know, got the great feedback and that we loved you. But I was like, man, I just, it's so hard. I feel like there's not a ton right now that I feel like I'm hundred percent right for, and I'm not quite getting in the room and I don't know why. And, and, uh, he really came through and, and he, kind of put in a good word for me. And that's how I got in the room for Jagged Little Pill. And I'm so grateful. Broadway didn't happen as soon as you thought. Uh, however, you did some work with the other Josh Cohen. Tell us a little bit about how that came about. I did. I mean, one of the things that I've really cherished about my my time in the city is um, I early on upon moving, I, I uh, started being an audition reader for Jeff Josselson, who's a wonderful casting director. And, and uh, I was do I was an audition reader for a project that he was casting, I guess uh, a little over a year ago, and it was this crazy Christmas Carol musical, like turned on its head, set in Ohio, very funny. And as the audition reader, I had to play tons of different people, um, and it was very funny and very quick. And uh, the writers of that were also one of the writers, Steve Rosen, was working on another musical called The Other Josh Cohen that shortly after was looking for a replacement. And because I'd been an audition reader, I got an appointment for that and had the pleasure of playing 20 characters, uh, mostly Jewish, which is very funny because I am very not Jewish. I am <laughs> the definition of a shiksa, I think. Uh, I got to be in that show for uh, about three months. and It was extraordinary, super fun. Alan's a big fan of that show. Oh, absolutely. I saw it, I saw it a couple times. Oh, yeah. Neil Diamond, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it was interesting to me because the characters you played were all so completely different. It showed a huge range. It was really fun. I, I think, 
it's so interesting being an actor. I think, well, really anything you do, you know, people see you as one thing and they're like, oh, okay, that's what you are. And they put you in a little box. And um, that was such an extraordinary experience because I got to really just be a comedian, you know, for three months. And that was it. My own, you know, it was a blast, a complete blast. And did it help you build confidence along the way? Definitely, definitely. I mean, I think when you're doing a, a comedy, uh, you know, as long as people are laughing and you're having a good time and your coworkers, your fellow actors are enjoying what you're doing and you have this rapport of, you know, passing the ball, right? That's sports. more basketball, but yeah. We're it's sportsy though. You're in the ballpark. <laughs> <laughs> the ballpark, I love it. Um, yeah, it's so satisfying. It, it's definitely rejuvenating creatively, I think, to be in something lighthearted and comedic and feel the energy of that. I think I said TV. Did I say TV show before, by the way? I okay, I, I didn't say, okay, I've panicked I myself. So. I'm like, oh yeah, but you also did the TV. I'm like, I did have two lines on SVU last fall. That was a big deal. That was, and I was like naked and screaming. My boyfriend's parents watched it and loved it. (laughs) We're good. (laughs) That's when you know you've made it. (laughs) Is that for the first impression, huh? I think, yeah, that might have been before they'd met me and they watched my two lines and like naked sex scene on Law & Order SVU. And they still like me. <laughs> I dated a girl once who, who whose boyfriend had was in. I think it, the story goes that the boyfriend was in a two man play, and the other like he had to sit downstage center in a chair, and the this other guy came up and just like stuck his hand down <laughs> his pants and like was you know pleasuring him in front of you know and and my girlfriend you know he was she she went with her parents to see her boyfriend at the time and that was lots of awkwardly fun. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's a weird thing being an actor, you got to do some funny things. I was going to say have the, have you ever been asked to do something on stage or screen that like made you uncomfortable? Um you know what? I did a show a few years ago. Um that was a show that was very close to my heart and and it was there was a scene where it was like a western sort of saloon thing and I was wearing this big skirt and, you know, there was a moment where an actor was supposed to sort of tussle my skirt and it, over time, he got, he was a little bit method, you know, and he was playing kind of an asshole character and the skirt toss became a little bit of a butt grab, became a little bit of a, you know, more intense thing. And and it, that was a really painful experience. And that was before the Me Too movement and before a lot of those things came out, before Harvey Weinstein. And um, it taught me a lot. And, and so actually when we started Jagged Little Pill, I uh, offered to be the equity deputy, which means that if anyone in the company and the ensemble feels that something is happening that is um, unethical in terms of the equity guidelines, they can come to me and I can go to equity directly or go to the creative team or stage management. And and I felt felt very strongly about um, offering to be in that position so that I could support anyone that would go through anything remotely similar to what I did. Um, And... I'm happy to say that in Jagged Little Pill, uh, we're the first musical to have an intimacy director who came and worked with us. Um, it's this amazing woman, Claire. Um, I was going to ask if it's Claire Warden. It is. It yeah, is. Yeah. And she worked on Slave Play, Slave Play, which her work in that is extraordinary. Mm-hmm. And having been in a room with her rehearsing, you know, Jagged Little Pill certainly has some very sensitive, delicate moments. And I, um, one of the scenes that I'm involved in involves a fair amount of kind of groping and touching in a protest setting. 
Um, and she is extraordinary, the way that she works with everyone in the room, that you all agree upon what the boundaries are and what you're comfortable with, and you tap in before you do it, and you tap out when you're done so that you're able to leave the work at work and that it's not connected to any, you know, that nothing that you're doing is going to bring up trauma for you in a way that you can't put away or that you can't do eight times a week. And um, so, yeah, I'm very, I'm, it's kind of an obtuse answer to your question, but um, I've never been asked to do anything I was uncomfortable with. And I'm grateful that in Jagged Little Pill, all of those delicate moments are handled with extreme care. Yeah. You, you know, you're taking on that leadership, that leadership role. Uh, that's important to any team. Has everyone followed the rules, I hope? Like, yes. no, no one's going to mess with Jane Bruce, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think that I'm, I'm not so much like a intimidating enforcer so much as like a, I, I, I like being a mediator. I, I, the Utah in me comes out whenever there's conflict. And I'm like, no, no, it's fine. We can all be fine. Like, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, much different than the New York mentality. We're a little oh, yeah. more like gruff and tough and oh, yeah. get pissed off and yell. Like I just always assume that it's my fault. So <laughs> somehow. <laughs> We're going to talk more about Jagged Little Pill right after our break. But before that, it's time for the seventh inning stretch. Stay tuned. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, now, Jane, I feel compelled to tell you, like, Jane, I feel like, you know, you came all the way here to do this interview. I wanted to give you the opportunity to win a prize. I love a prize. But you have to earn it, and it's not going to be easy. Okay, there's great. There's no rules in the seventh inning stretch. because No rules? There's no rules. Basically, you know what? It, it, think of it like this. The game is tied at this point, okay? Okay. Um, God bless America is out there playing on the field. Uh, you're going into the cage, get a little loose. You want to make sure that you have like a great last at bat. Oh yeah, that cage. Whatnot. Love the cage. Yeah. Like, I, I amps, gets me all amped, <laughs> that cage. Do you bet righty or lefty, by the way? Prob- you know, who knows? Probably right. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, have you ever held a baseball bat? Well, I'm right-handed. Okay, so, so you probably hit righty. Yeah. Okay, so you're at a disadvantage already because I'm a, I'm a, so just, in, just right. so you know, in baseball, if you're a righty facing a righty, you're like at a disadvantage. If you're a lefty facing a lefty, you're at a disadvantage. Gotcha. Something with the arm angles. This is good to know for when we start, you know, Broadway baseball in the spring. That's why I thought maybe you would know what, what 
side of the plate you hit from. We gotta like. Last time I played baseball was like t-ball in kindergarten. All right, so this will be like a good like spring training for you before <sighs> uh, before the uh, Broadway Show League. Excellent. I'll take notes. All right, so I got four questions for you. Half are baseball, half are Broadway related to Jagged Little Pill. <laughs> And my producer, Alan Seals, has offered to be your lifeline for any baseball-related question. Isn't that right, Alan? Yeah, I sort of get voluntold, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This is excellent. That's great news. (laughs) It's going to be good. All right. So you've got one hand in your pocket. Name three different things that the other one is doing. Ficking a cigarette. That's one. Giving a high five. Correct. Playing the piano. I, there's two more. If you want to keep going, I, I like I'm enjoying this right now. Um, you know, I'm kind of frantically changing clothes for a lot of that number, so okay. I think that's all I got. <laughs> you got three. All right, you're one for one. Excellent. You're batting a thousand. That sounds good. Yeah, batting a thousand. That sounds that's high. It's kind of perfect, and it doesn't really happen for much more than like oh, two at bats. Stop. In the perfect. Season. We've just met. <laughs> <laughs> also, that's real. another Jagged Little Pill song. But oh, okay. I, I'm going to see the show in a few weeks, so I guess I'll have to find out for myself. Which of these all stars is not currently a member of the New York Yankees? Araldus Chapman, Pete Alonso, Glaber Torres, or DJ LeMayhew? <laughs> what fun names! First of all, <laughs> which one, Chapman? Do you have to have a cool, fancy name to be in baseball? I mean, not really. Oh, you know there's a Jay Bruce in baseball, by the way. Have you heard I about this? I have heard about that. There's also a woman who's a famous glass-blowing artist in Canada named Jane Bruce. And so there's I ways had to like get a, a different website name because she had it. You, like, <laughs> loosely heard of it. It's not like a common joke. Like, oh, Jay Bruce, Jay Bruce. I mean, because he played for the Mets for a little while, by the way. Like, that wasn't, like, a thing that came up a lot in New York? Not so much. Until you came here. <laughs> <laughs> It is. I showed the roster of guests like for our upcoming shows to the Katzman brothers, and they're like, "Like, how the hell did you get Jay Bruce? He's on Seattle now." I'm like, "No, no, 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 oh no, my God. Jane Bruce." That's but. so funny. I'm honored. Yeah, that's me, Jay Bruce. Baseball's <laughs> well, great. I love it. As much as I love your spirit, I'm not going to give you the point unless you try to guess <laughs> the answer to that question. Can I use d- my lifeline? Absolutely. What were the what were the questions? The choices? <laughs> we got a little off <laughs> off base. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. <laughs> which of these all stars is not currently a member of the New York Yankees? Araldus Chapman, Pete Alonso. That one. Good call. Wow. Did he? Did you know? Right. He won the home run derby first met since Daryl Strawberry to win it this summer. Sounds uh, great. Yeah, he's well. He's not a Yankee, and ah, uh-huh. he's on the Mets. The Mets, right? I should have actually given you the option of like whether or not you wanted to use that answer that the lifeline provided because I wanted to see if you would have taken it, but I could tell you just kind of <laughs> you don't you don't know. Not at all. <laughs> Finish that lyric. Throw it down. Uh oh my gosh. Alan, you can only help with the baseball questions. Okay. <laughs> Oh my gosh. This is from like, You Learn. I can hear Catherine Gallagher. I know it's from You Learn, and I can hear Catherine Gallagher singing it. And then the, this next part is sung by Derek Klenna in, oh, yeah. in the soundtrack. Oh my gosh. Throw it down. Oh my gosh, who am I? 
Are you in the show? I'm kidding. <laughs> I want to say what a jagged little pill, but that's not it. That's swallow it down. Wow. All right. I, I kind of want to give you the prize. So I'm going to give you an, another option for the, for that same song, okay? I knew we were fast friends. Right? Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> Hold it up. To the rays. You wait and see when the small woe clears. I was hoping you would do that. I love, that's like one of my favorite lines in the song. Oh, yeah. Just got to get this last <sighs> one right, okay? okay? And it's not that hard. But it's a baseball thing. It is a baseball thing. It's going to be fine. Fine, fine, fine. What do you call a performance in a baseball game when a pitcher allows no hits? A no-hitter. That is correct. Are you serious? That is the correct answer. Wow. University of Michigan, man. That's called an education. <laughs> you went to like <laughs> one football game in like four years. No, but it was a good school, you know? Yeah. The Harvard of the Midwest, they say. It is one of the best musical so My deductive theater. reasoning yeah. got there. You did it. Well, I'm wow, going to give you this I'm prize. Honored. And this is going to immerse you into the baseball and Broadway <gasps> fan base. Oh, I love it is the first break of that long sleeve t-shirt. You got the logo on the yes. back. And then you have Araldus Chapman's number on the front. He's kind of like our mascot. Araldus? Araldus Chapman. They call him the Cuban Missile. Ooh. He throws like 105 miles an hour. That sounds cool. Yeah. And he's, he's a big theater fan. I mean, he's kind of involuntarily our mascot. So I, I hope I he love does. it. Well, thank you. I love a long sleeve tee. Yeah. I love to represent my friends. It's a prize, you know. Yes, as you walk and I love a prize. You don't walk out of here empty-handed. Oh, wow. So tell us a little bit about what's going on over at Jagged Little Pill. Take me through the whole experience. What's it been like? It's been extraordinary. I feel I feel unbelievably grateful to be making my debut in a show that is so topical and important, and it asks such bold, um, emotional, vulnerable questions of anyone who sees it. And um, I think it's so special because you know, you, there are so many artists who you could take their canon of music and say, oh, this could be a musical. But Alanis Morissette's music is so deeply emotional. And s there's so many stories in the songs that she's written. And I think that Diablo Cody has, you know, very different from a lot of jukebox musicals, you know, this is an original story created from what was already in Alanis's music. And I think that that's extraordinary. And, and when you see the show, it feels like every song was written for these characters and written for the moments in the show. And it's so cool. Um, and the thing uh, Alanis wrote in the liner notes for the album when it comes out that kind of the musical is about, and this moved me profoundly, all about the space between vulnerability and power and exploring that. And, and that's what the show is all about is, you know, looking in the mirror at yourself and, and really accepting that no one is perfect and that that's okay. And that the journey to being, you know, a full human being and, uh, being able to love yourself and those around you involves is, is hard work. Um, and I think the show has taught me so many lessons. Everyone in the company is, has challenged me and made me a better person and a, a better activist and a better artist. And um, Diane Paulus is completely brilliant. Tom Kitt's arrangements are extraordinary. Um, Elizabeth Stanley is, I refer to her as my queen of all things. She's like unbelievably graceful. And all I can hope in my career is to be able to, to do the kind of work that she's doing in the show. And it's, it's a true gift, very grateful. 
What was it like going on stage at the Broadhurst Theater for the first time? Man, wild bananas. We had a lot of fans out of town, and that was also a new experience to be in something where, you know, at the end of the show, there's a line of people who want your autograph and want your picture. And that's also so humbling, you know. Um, and tech tech is hard. You know, I, it was my first Broadway tech experience, and we had seven days straight of 12 to 12 rehearsals and a lot of very delicate aspects that had to be worked out and fine-tuned. And um, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears went into that week. And so that that first night, having an audience and hearing them, as soon as the lights even came up and the orchestra started, they were just screaming. And that was an incredible feeling to know that all of the hard work we've put in. And, and I think everyone in the company, top to bottom, has, has given so much of themselves and their own stories and their own experiences, their own hearts and souls to the piece that uh, it's extremely gratifying to see how much it means to people. Now, you were cast to be on the ensemble, um, but you're also understudying two major roles. I want to just draw a little baseball parallel here for you. Please do. And I th hopefully it'll draw some inspiration for, you know, that time when your number's called. Oh, yeah. All right, 98 World Series. Yankees have one of the best regular seasons of all time. They win 114 games, which it was an American League record at the time. All this pressure in the world on them to win the World Series. And, you know, they had a super team. It, I shouldn't even say that. They had a really well-rounded cast. There weren't that many, like, huge names. At the time, Derek Jeter obviously ended up becoming huge. Mariano Rivera, he was the closer. Um, but you familiar with Daryl Strawberry by any chance? Strawberry? <laughs> I love strawberries. Alan, you know Daryl Strawberry. I know that. Yeah. From your I, video game. Yeah. Yes, actually. <laughs> I had his card when I was like in high school. Is that the right time? Like 20 years ago? You know what? Yeah. He was, well, his last season was 1999. So that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. It's exactly 20 years ago now. There you go. See? Wow. So Daryl Strawberry uh, was the left fielder for the Yankees and he got diagnosed with colon cancer like right before the World Series started. So the Yankees called on Ricky Ledet. And Ricky Ledet was, um, he was a rookie. He was making his debut in the major leagues. Um, and I'll never forget, I, I, again, I was all of eight years old, but Joe Buck, who uh, was broadcasting the game, you know, kind of said, Ricky Ledet, of all people, being the one to start game one of the 98 World Series for a team that won 114 games, um, you, you know, he, he was as, what's the expression? Uh, green, what's like that expression? Like green as a, like when you're like very green, like when you're raw. Green as. Green as, not a pickle. Green as a gourd. Grass. Green as a gourd. Something like when you're very. It's green as a gourd, right? Is that it? Like, ex, like you know, when you're like kind of like a deer in the headlights. Let's just use that. Gotcha. Get, let great. me get off Love the it. color scheme thing. It's That's fine. Just, <laughs> Green's a great color. It is a great color. And it'll do fine. <laughs> you got the reference? Yeah. You do? And do I? Kermit being green. Oh, yeah, Come yeah, yeah. On. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> so anyway, Ricky Lede. What happens with Ricky Lede? First World Series at bat. Uh, he doubles in two runs to give the Yankees a 2-0 lead. He ends up batting 600 in the World Series, which at the time was the third highest batting average for any Yankee in the World Series behind Babe Ruth. You, I, oh, yeah. You saw the Sandlot, so I hope you— Oh, I, yeah. I, I know Babe Ruth. You know Babe Ruth, so you know he's like Great the best. Great candy bar, too. Yes, Love that, it. that is a good one. That means you've really made it, probably, if you get a candy bar named after you, so— yeah, one can only drink. They, they don't do that that much, actually, in baseball. They so have to be like cream of the crop. But anyway, Lede 
was trailing only uh, Ruth and, and Lou Gehrig for the highest World Series batting average. And, you know, a lot of what he talked about as far as the success goes for visualizing himself in that moment. What do you do to visualize yourself in the moment, you know, when your numbers call to, you know, take on, you know, not only MJ, but you're also taking on Bella as well. Mm -hmm. What do you, what do you do? Um, I think, I mean, I know all, I have the advantage of having also understudied Bella in the out of town tryout. So I, I did never go on for Catherine, but I was familiar with the role and already sort of immersed in it, which I'm really grateful for going into this run. And, and of course, also taking on MJ is a huge undertaking and very daunting. She really carries the show and her arc is um, really emotional and devastating in a lot of ways and and also funny. You know, it's not just about being emotional. It's also about really being able to land the comedic moments that Diablo has written into the script. And um, I think part of it's being prepared. You know, they say that to be a master of anything, it's what, 10,000 hours? Um, and I, I think a lot of it is, is trusting that I've put in the work and that I'm ready. And, and, uh, and also knowing that you, I can't recreate what Elizabeth or Catherine does. They're both extraordinary artists and women and actors and musicians in their own right. And, and I have the opportunity and the, um, the gift of being able to do my own rendition in those moments. Uh, and, allowing that and not feeling, not putting the pressure on myself to try and recreate someone else's performance or, you know, I mean, so much of the show, everyone is bringing themselves to it in such a deep way that I think in those moments, it's trusting the work and trusting bringing my own heart to it. Do you take batting practice, putting your own spin on it? Do you, are you sitting in the clubhouse, you know, reading lines as, you know, this is, this is the Jane Bruce spin that I want to put on this right now. Yeah. And I think it's a, it's a balance, right? Cause you, you also can't be so different from you, you know, you can't change the rhythm of the show in the sense that it's going to affect any of the actors around you or the pacing of the show. And, um, but yeah, I think it's, it's a, it's a delicate balance, but a good one. It's an exciting one. It, it feels, you know, I like a challenge and it certainly is that. And this is your, you know, is it everything that you hope Broadway would be? Yeah. I mean, I think any dream that you have, I mean, it, I, I have been wanting to be, I mean, that little elementary school musical that we did was my, when I was in fifth grade. So it's been over 20 years that I've been want, you know, desperately wanting this and, and it's both everything I wanted and also different in a lot of ways. You know, I'm dancing, in, which is not necessarily a thing that I would have said was top of my skill set. Um, Are you getting better, though? Yeah. Well, I'm grateful wow. that now I've been doing the, these particular dance moves now for a couple of years, so now I got it. But it's certainly very physically taxing. And the ensemble, we're, we're more of a Greek chorus. We're sort of on stage supporting all the leads as they're working through their own issues um, and we kind of come on stage and support them in those moments. Uh, so we're in a lot of the show and I have some really fun features. I play a lot of awful white ladies who don't know any better about what they're saying and how they're behaving, <laughs> which is funny. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's challenging, which I expected it to be, and it's fulfilling, which I hoped it would be. And I'm so excited. I'm so grateful. I'm really grateful that you know, I'm having the experience now being someone who I feel like I know who I am and 
I'm a little more grown up and I, I think I can recognize things in myself and in the world around me more clearly than you're able to when you move to the city at 22 and you think you know everything, but actually you really don't. And I'm really exceptionally grateful that I'm having this experience now and excited to see what doors it opens for me in the future. Have mom and dad got their tickets yet? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Kate and Steve Bruce are going to be there. Can't wait. They're, uh, my mom's coming to opening night. And um, I, I joke that my boyfriend's probably the only person who might be as enthusiastic as she is about excitement for me in this moment. So after the first preview, uh, my boyfriend, Elia, came. And, and in the morning, I woke up to him already awake looking at me saying, like, my girlfriend is so amazing. She's on Broadway. She's so beautiful and talented. That's like a very behind-the-scenes story, by the way. It was very funny. Well, And I woke up and I was like, hey, honey. He's like, sorry, I didn't mean to wake you up. You're just amazing. And I'm like, thank you, but I needed a few more hours of sleep. And then we'll talk again, but thank you. I love you. Now you're on that eight shows a week schedule. It's a little different, yeah. right? Yeah. It's wild. It's definitely an adjustment. You know, I think the only other time I've truly done eight shows a week for a long stretch was – at ART for the out-of-town tryout. And no matter how much you tell yourself for years and years, that like, yeah, I can do it. I'm ready. I'm going to love it. It's hard. It's really hard. I mean, Josh Cohen was also eight shows a week in the city. Um, and that was certainly challenging in its own right as well. That was, you know, 95 minutes of nonstop costume changes, character switching, instrument playing, you know. So I'm, I'm so grateful I had that experience to sort of prime me for what this was going to be. It probably makes it even more fun, especially with your musical background. You know, you're, you're singing a masterpiece. It's like one of the signature albums of the 90s. Oh, yeah. I mean, when we were out of town, I I wrote a whole album, really, in my time in Cambridge and recorded it um, last fall, and I'm still kind of working on mixing it and, and getting it ready to release very soon. Um, and really being immersed in Alanis's music has had a huge impact on my own writing and I went to the Johnny Mercer um, Songwriters Project this last summer, which is an amazing week-long program run by Andrew Lippa and Craig Cornelia and um, some other really extraordinary uh, teachers. And it was all about diving into your lyrics even more and dying, diving into musical structure. And uh, I, I think it challenged me as a songwriter even more. And I, I don't think I would have even been like ready for that experience had I not been exposed to all the things that Alanis taught me by being in her show and surrounded by her music every day. Tell us what you have coming up on the music front. So uh, the album I recorded last year, uh, I think those songs are going to be coming out in the very, very near future. Um, I'm also being commissioned by South Coast Repertory to write a musical wow. this year, which is really exciting. And... Okay. Um, it's still in flux of exactly what that's going to be, but um, I think it's going to be a lot about my own kind of experience as a woman dealing with the really sometimes nasty thoughts you have about your own body, even though you're inside of it, and and kind of trying to dissect where that comes from. Is that come? Is it nature versus? Is it nature nurture society? You know, uh, and how that relates to you know, sexual trauma and relationships and mother-daughter dynamics. and. Um, Are you writing from a place of experience? Yeah, yeah. I, I When I was approached by David Ivers, who's the artistic director, 
who I also met from being an audition reader, actually. So grateful for my audition reading experiences. And he called me up and he was like, do you want to write a musical? And I said, well, that's the scariest thing that I can think of. So yeah, sure. <laughs> let's go. Love a challenge. Sure. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So, you know, it's still a little up in the air, whether or not it'll be maybe like a one woman show or a song cycle. Um, my main hope is that it can be something that I can also, that whatever music I write for it, I would like to be able to record and release as kind of a concept folk album as well. Something that can really live in the singer songwriter folk indie sphere on its own. You know, that's something that I, I feel quite strongly about with my music is, is not being, you know, a Broadway chick who writes songs, but sounds a little bit like a, you know, not, not quite in like the Disney pop realm, but like can truly, truly live in the indie songwriting sphere as well. It's like setting a record in baseball, like, you know, kind of being the the first one to, you know, I can't really think of too many examples in the industry if someone has really done that. Yeah. So I mean, uh, I'm super inspired by Hadestown and what Anais Mitchell has done. I think that that's really, really cool. Um, and Alanis too, you know, I mean, she wrote a canon of music that even though the songs were not plot related or storytelling from A to B, they had so much richness and truth in them that musicalizing them uh, with scenes in between made a lot of sense. Awesome. Well, we look forward to it. And, you know, before we wrap our time together, uh, I know you've accomplished a lot on stage over at the Broadhurst Theater and, you know, in the studio and your writing endeavors, but now it's about to get really tough because this is fastball derby. If you thought the seventh inning stretch was tough, now it gets real. Okay. Visualize yourself. Ninth inning, two outs. Now you're down by a run. Basically, we're going to ask you questions. You got to say the first thing that comes to your head. You got to think fast, all right? Okay. You ready? Okay. Favorite New York City meal? Uh, oh, you know, I, I think I spend almost all my money at Blossom Du Jour now. On Ninth Avenue, it's like a vegan spot. They have a great bowl with tofu scramble and a chipotle aioli. I'm not vegan, but it kind of sounds delicious. It is. truly is. If you were a baseball player, which position would you be and why? The person who gives orange slices to the people. On There's their an Office episode about that. Did you ever see that episode? <laughs> yes. Of Michael I Scott love the takes them. Yeah, I'm that. I'm him. <laughs> you're, oh, you're him. That's your role in the Great. game. Great. Yes, please. That's like one of the few things that I would like make a mockery of like that question for. It's Michael Scott. I, I'm happy to do it there. Great. Favorite film? Uh, you know, I... When I was in, when I was young, I remember watching I Am Sam uh, and just being blown away by like Sean's, Sean Penn's performance and the like reimagining of the Beatles music. And I don't know, there's something about that movie when I was young and it felt like the first like artsy movie that I got really like, wow, like the power of storytelling and acting and cinematography, <laughs> music. Wow. I don't know. <laughs> What's the next question? <laughs> Thing you miss most about Utah? The mountains. Your desert island album? Oh, blue, Joni Mitchell. Biggest pet peeve? When people are rude to other people for no reason. It's kind of like a front for a lot of people, I think. Yeah, or like, you know, I feel like it's not hard to. I, I had an uncle pass away when I was in college and at his funeral... Uh, his son read a letter he'd written for his dad. And he said, the thing I learned most from you is that life is so much easier when you're just nice to people. So I try to live by that. But it makes me sad inside when other people 
gotta be mean. Why you gotta be mean? Unfortunately, we live in a world now that, I don't know, maybe it is possible. Write some music about it. Maybe you could influence people with this. Balancing all things, man. Someone in the audience you were most nervous to perform in front of. So I did amateur night at the Apollo when I first moved to the city. (laughs) Holy cow, that's a big undertaking. (laughs) I didn't know what I was doing. (laughs) I went to like an open mic somewhere and there was a lady there and she was like, I help organize Apollo, you know, the amateur night, you should do it. I was like, okay, cool. And I think it was my first summer in the city and I played a song that I'd written and it was really cool. Like the band um, that they had, you know, backed me up and took my demo and like learned all these parts and it was amazing. But I just didn't understand. And they announced before you go on, like where you're from. And everyone was like, so-and-so from Brooklyn, so-and-so from Queens. And it was like Jane Bruce from Ogden, Utah. And I think I was even first. And they have a thing there where if the audience, the audience will boo you if they don't like you. And then like a tap dancer of death comes and tap dances you off the stage. And there were these two ladies in the front who were doing this like hand gesture and it looked like they were really into it. And then I realized that they were saying like, get off the stage. Oh my God. So I almost, I almost got killed and cut, <laughs> but I didn't, I survived. But wow, what a memory. That was, was terrifying. That was the most scared I've ever been for sure. As optimistic as you are, that's like quite a big undertaking, like right upon coming here, I gotta say. I that's... think it was probably just naive. I just <laughs> probably didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> Proudest moment of your career. Oh man. I, I mean, I think probably the first preview for Jagged Little Pill, you know, my technical Broadway debut, you know, uh, that was a really proud night. And and the amount of love I received from friends and family and fans and people I hadn't heard from in a long time, people I did community theater with back in Utah who reached out to remind me of what a, you know, bright-eyed kid I was growing up. And that was really special. And lastly, best piece of advice anyone ever gave you? I think you have to trust that everything is happening the way that it's meant to and that even if something feels like it's really shitty, that there's a lesson in it to learn. Um, You know, I I think a lot of times as actors and performers or really anyone in any realm where, you know, your success is measured by, you know, your output in some way, it it can – I think it's really easy to feel – a pressure about needing to be perfect or needing to maintain a certain like sheen about how you do everything. Um, and I think, I think that the true, I think that the best quality a person can have is, is a desire to always learn and grow. You know, I think the second that you feel like you've, that you're nailing it and that you're fierce and, you know, everyone's lucky to have you in the room, then you're not going to keep growing. You're going to stop learning. And then you know, that's a bummer. Learning's fun. Pretty appropriate that that's the last song of Jagged Little Pill, too. You live, you learn. You're going to have to <laughs> brush up on these lyrics. I'm a li- I mean, after what we saw in the uh, I know. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> I know. That's always the moment where I'm backstage, like, trying to stretch. You know, it's the last number of the show. I'm trying to work out all my knots before I go do one more boogie oh, before we bow. Awesome. Well, listen, Jane, continued success. Thank, thank you, you for coming on today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Uh, anytime. And, you know, this off season, if you need a little bit of help, you know, getting ready for Broadway Show League. Thank you. Ju- just ask Alan. Great. My lifeline. <laughs>
<laughs> I can I can help you figure out if you bat left-handed or right-handed. That would be good. That's a good start. Yeah. And like appropriate shoe wear. That sounds fun. Swag is a big part of baseball. I love swag. Yeah. So that's like that that's a, that's very much a thing. So all right, that's I'm figure that my my whatever I do on the team will be probably mostly like a character that appears more so than like a valued player. The Michael you know? Scott character just taking the orange. Slices. Exactly. All right. Or like I'll make a giant I'll make like a giant pill mascot uniform like out of a refrigerator box. That sounds like what I want to do. Oh, okay. The mascot. That's, that's probably Poor Gatorade on everybody. Yeah, yeah. All the time. Okay. Or like one of the catchers way in the outfield doing like cartwheels and picking daisies. A catcher way. All right. The catcher's put by home plate, by the way. But gotcha. we'll, we'll great, brush great, up great. on this. <laughs> we're going to brush uh, up on this. <laughs> oh, good stuff, Jane. This is Al Malafronte signing off for the Broadway Podcast Network and Break a Bat. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Break a Bat. This is produced by the fine folks at the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit and subscribe at bpn.fm slash breakabat. You can find me online at break underscore a underscore bat underscore podcast. And you can also find the Broadway Podcast Network on Instagram at Broadway Podcast Network. It's been so great having you here with us today, and we'll see you next time. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.